This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for July 21st, 2020. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels. Very glad you're here. Two guests today, two people together, the first being Brendan Chung, who you may know from, you know, <laughs> word about the upcoming Skin Deep, as well as his previous projects, Quadrilateral Cowboy, 30 Flights of Loving, Gravity Bone, the Citizen Able series, both Flotilla games, Adam Zombie Smasher. He is one of those people who makes the application of auteur theory to video games an exercise in definite non-bullshit. Very happy to have him here, and I'm also very happy to have Laura Mache, an extremely accomplished writer and possibly an equally accomplished editor. You may know her work from Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, a specific section of Frog Fractions 2, the English script of Pathologic 2, most recently Industries of Titan, and her solo work is brilliant as well if you only play one play Swan Hill, but really play a bunch of them. Recently, Brendan and Laura have started making smaller projects together, and the first of those was Planet Friend, which is a virtual pet game where your pet's a planet, and that is as wild and bizarre and abstract as you might imagine. We talk about that, as well as their other work, and just the actual process of doing work at all in this strange, hellish pocket dimension in which we all seem to have found ourselves. So, here's that. Enjoy. Well, uh, thank you a ton for taking the time. As I was saying to Brendan before we uh, like properly all got together here, you've, you've like neither of you done a whole lot of these sorts of interviews, and I, I was not able to find one you'd ever done together. So I, I very much appreciate you doing this one. It's uh, I, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, cool. Should be fun. <laughs> Would you mind uh, both introducing yourselves uh, just so that everybody knows whose voice is whose and all that? Yeah, I'm Brendan Chung. And I am a developer at a small studio called Blendo Games. And I'm Laura Mache, and I work during the daytime at Riot. And uh, when I'm not working there, I do indie and uh, personal game development uh, on a smaller scale in my free time. And and one of the things, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're currently doing uh, in that in that night mode is is working with Brendan on the new Blendo game, yeah, Skin Deep. Uh, I'm not currently working on Skin Deep. Uh, we are uh, hoping that that could someday be the case, but I have to sign all sorts of paperwork at work and stuff to make that possible. Oh, got it. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, uh, currently making some non-commercial stuff with Brendan on the side. Nice, nice. I played your I played your wonderful uh, planet pet sim, which which is entirely delightful. Awesome. <laughs> it's I mean, yeah, it has it has a lot to say about ecology and people and and all sorts of things. Highly highly recommended uh, to anybody uh, who can uh, who 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 has the, you know a yen to think about planetary care care on a planetary scale. But uh, but yeah, Laura, I think if again, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can't talk too much about what you're up to at Riot at the moment. Right. So I think we'll probably focus more on your your personal work and, and stuff from the off hours. Yeah, I, I can't talk too much about it just because most of the stuff I work on has not been announced. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, I mean, that's that's a, a common enough thing, uh, you know, at, at least at certain phases in a project. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so not being able to talk about anything you're, you're working on together beyond, uh, beyond the delightful, <laughs> the delightful experience that is having a planet as a pet, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to focus a little bit on, on each of your work. Um, you both are incredibly, incredibly prolific, but you work in sort of different disciplines and you work on different sorts of games. Like if people are familiar with the Blendo games, like over that, that is itself very, uh, various, you know, like I, I think I first became aware of you, uh, Brendan, uh, around the time of like Thirty Flights of Loving. Like I had heard about, I had heard about Citizen Abel whispered. I had, I had, I knew people who loved Gravity Bone, but Thirty Flights of Loving was the first one I played. I've since I've since played them all. Uh, and and Laura, I think I've been aware like of stuff you've worked on longer than I realized you were working on it. Like I, I didn't, I I did not realize when I first played where the water tastes like wine, the important editorial work that you had done on it. So it's like, how did you decide to sort of start bringing together your vastly different skill sets and sets of experience? Like, did you, is it, was it just a question of 
in quarantine and all of that, it made sense to do stuff together since you live together? Or was there kind of a spark to sort of start bringing together what, you know, what the two of you do into one set of, of practice and work? Thought it would be fun. Uh, <laughs> Hell yeah. Damn, was I overthinking yeah. that or what? Uh, I don't know. It just seems like fun to to do this kind of stuff. We had some fun ideas. Yeah, we we have a bunch of things that we want to do and uh, make together. And we thought, oh, we might as well just like try one of them. Um, our initial plan was to go to GDC this year, the Game Developers Conference, mm-hmm. and like spend part of our time there making a game together. Um, but then COVID, we entered the era of COVID-19. Yeah, and, uh, we were going to go to GDC without a event pass and just hang out and say hello to our friends and stuff because we live in LA, so going to mm. San Francisco is pretty easy for us. Uh, so we were planning on game jamming. Um, and then we thought of the, we thought of Planet Friends sort of as a game jam, uh, and since then we started on a second one that is taking much longer just because it's difficult to make games in uh, the hell timeline. But <laughs> sure, uh, sure, yeah, no, that's that's something again that everybody I think is feeling in one way or another. Yeah, so I don't I know that we gave ourselves a time limit eventually on Planet Friend where we were like we got to get it out or it's not like a jam anymore. Yeah, it's like two months something like that. Yeah. Play the friend definitely has didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. The other one has not been going on for much longer, but uh, it's because my brain is tired. So there you go. (laughs) Sure, sure. Is it purely about sort of ways of working and and headspace or is it is it also kind of bigger scale? I ask because like Planet Friend is what I would think of as sort of a jam scale game, right? It explores one concept. It's more interested in being interesting than in being polished, right? Not that it's unpolished, but it's not. It doesn't feel the need to be expansive the way a commercial product would. Is this new? Is the second one bigger, or is it simply that it's like harder to work? It has a lot of text in it. it I'll just describe mm-hmm. it to you. We're making like a tactical monster hunting game where you're like an alien, like the Predator, and you've been sent down to this planet for like your your nihilistic coming of age ceremony to like kill a alien. And um, every night, if your stress level is high enough, you have a nightmare that teaches you some of the game mechanics. And I have to write all of these depressing nightmares about this like fascist alien society like making you miserable so that at the end of the game you like understand oh dang uh i shouldn't do this but um yeah it's kind of a bummer to write all of those (laughs) nightmares while the real world is totally fucked up so i've been writing them very slowly and the other parts of the game are like yeah on the tech side it's um it's kind of like a roguelike where like a bunch of objects are in the game and they all kind of interact with each other in different ways. Um, so that's been kind of a, a technical challenge also for me. Well, um, I think it's working really well. It's working pretty well. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with how it's working. I scripted a grenade that you make out of animal dung uh, where it's like all these different features interacting together and then after like 12 steps you have like a tiny little grenade that <laughs> you can throw at the monster. Um, the we were we were sort of inspired by this video uh, called Scavengers. Forget who the animators are. Yeah, you can find it on Vimeo. It's incredible. Yeah, it's about like two people manipulating a alien ecosystem to uh, make tools and and achieve an inscrutable outcome. And we were like, dang, we should make a game about a complex alien ecosystem. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. There are not enough games about complex alien ecosystems. This sounds incredible and and tremendously like my shit. Uh, it also I can also absolutely imagine why that's a very heavy thing, especially to write right now. You know, I mean, it's it's appropriate, you know, with with fascism on the rise globally and 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 people thinking about what they need from each other. But but it's certainly yeah, as you say, I'm sure it's a lot to carry uh, to, to just live life while also, you know, reflecting on the darker aspects of, of as you say, you know, hell timeline or, or the hell dimension we found ourselves in. Yeah, I just got to re- rethink what I'm doing there so that I don't have to write like 10 hell nightmares in the middle of a real hell nightmare i feel like this is a thing a lot of writers struggle with though is like you happen upon an idea that is incredibly prescient and timely and meaningful but the the other side of that very same coin is that it's really prescient and timely and meaningful and so it's like working on it requires you to think about all of the things 
in life they're hardest to think about. Like it's, I think people don't maybe take the psychological toll of that seriously enough, especially like younger writers. Every time I've tried to write something timely, it's been a big fucking disaster. Because, <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't take very long for things to become not timely anymore, you know, sure. and writing takes a long ass time. Uh, I've had a lot more luck writing uh, as many writers do nostalgically about things that were important 20 to 30 years ago uh, in, in my life. So I don't know, maybe I should do something like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Hard, hard, hard to stay uh usefully timely when things change so fast and dif different things become important in the world so quickly that you you can't remember what was important last week you know yeah yeah the two kinds of writing i feel like where this comes up the most or the most acutely would be anything anything political you know capital p political or just something that gestures at like political philosophy and then comedy right comedy ages instantaneously um it's well, really i mean not all of it of course but a lot of it yeah, it totally depends on what kind of comedy and what kind of laugh you're trying to get. Totally, uh, totally. No, totally. I mean, like, referential comedy is the stuff that ages instantaneously, but any yeah. kind of comedy, like, because it relies on shared cultural assumptions, right, can still can still age poorly in ways that are really hard to anticipate as a writer. You know, that's usually not an instantaneous process, but it's still faster, I think, than the way other kinds of media age. Yeah. So, 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 Brendan, if I if I may ask, like, as far as what you're currently working on, are you working on Skin Deep most of the time right now? Is uh, has that kind of gone on the back burner at the moment? Uh, do you have a bunch of different balls in the air? Uh, what's the current status? Uh, yeah, so Skin Deep is um, my day job, basically. Uh, I spend like five days a week working on it, um, and on the weekends we'll spend some time on the uh, the Hunter game. Which, which I, I take it, I take it, hath not a name as yet. Yeah, it doesn't really have a name yet. Yeah. We're still figuring it out. So you're, I mean, that's interesting though, because I mean, some of your earlier mod work and stuff uses. I think you've joked about how simple the procedural generation stuff was, in, for example, the source, the source engine, where it just sort of spawns in an object. There's not too much. It's more random than procedural. But I feel like some of your work has been moving in sort of a, you know, an, an immersive sim direction. Quadrilateral Cowboy has that a bit. Skin Deep seems to have it a lot more. And now you're working on kind of a, a roguelike thing on the side. It seems like you've been getting very, very into into systems, which, of course, a bunch of your games, you know, Adam Zombie Smasher comes to mind, certainly have. But I think a fair number of people who maybe know, you know, only a selection of your work maybe think of you as being very sophisticated about narrative and light on systems. So have you been like consciously moving in this other direction or is it more just a question of like, I know you've always loved this kind of stuff uh, and, and has it come a bit naturally because of that? Uh, yeah, so my, my not-so-secret goal is to try to make things in every game genre possible. Uh, I, think, I think that, like, yeah, it's, um, I think it's fun to, like, really do a deep dive into a thing and to get really good at it. But I also think it's fun to just see what people make when they are out of their comfort zone and, like, uh, like when a when a, a dramatic actor does a comedic role, I love it. I I cannot get enough of that. Um, and I want to see what kind of driving game would I make because I don't even really play driving games that much. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious what I would do. Um, and so that's kind of my what I like to do. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, but I I think there are developers who just kind of like you feel like they're spinning the wheel of genre roulette. And I don't feel like that's you. I feel like there is kind of a, a trajectory or maybe a couple of like parallel or orthogonal trajectories, if that's not too weird a way to put it to your games. Right. Like you can see modes of thought progressing. You know, I don't I don't feel like you ever just like sort of picked a genre out of a hat. I feel like there's some kind of like you take what you learned on the previous project and go in some different direction with it. Is that is that fair to say, or does it not feel that way to you? Does it feel a little bit more impulsive or haphazard? Uh, I mean, I'm not like randomly choosing stuff to do, um, but I think that like, I think what you're talking about sort of kind of naturally happens when um, the team is just really, really small. Um, totally. Yeah. And like, there's just so like, you cannot really avoid doing overlap. Like, even if I were to, uh, uh, use someone else's like template for a game um 
the fact that it's one person or a small team kind of making all the decisions kind of naturally guides it toward you know toward the uh, the the likes and the preferences of that small team and what they want to make and what their tastes are and things. No, absolutely, absolutely. You can you can be on a wavelength and simply let that guide you without having to apply a methodology or or yeah. Like I did I didn't mean to suggest that the only way to get variety is to use a random number generator. That's certainly not the case. Um yeah, it's just it's interesting because like I I suppose what I'm reacting to is you're saying like you want to try something in every genre, but I think maybe more than most developers you have sort of a through line like like an implied shared universe uh an overall aesthetic something like that like there's a it, it, I think it's rare to have someone say, I want to plant a flag in every imaginable genre while also <laughs> being dedicated to some notion of cohesion, right? Usually that's that's something of an either or. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my, there were, there were some like um, movies and game universes that I grew up with where their, their work would like reference their other work or um, they would like hint at future works and stuff like that. And whenever that happened, I just got really excited. Um, I love it when something kind of like hints at a larger universe. I love it when uh, uh, Mon Mothma says a bunch of Bothan spies died to get us this thing. It's like, what does that mean? It just hints at this whole larger um, universe. And I think that there's something really satisfying when like a work kind of like becomes bigger than the sum of its parts. Absolutely. I mean, but of course, the other side of that coin, and this this maybe ping pongs back to you, Laura, but it's not always interesting to get the answer to that question. Like, like asking the question and having the audience imagine the answer is sometimes inherently more interesting than having, you know, I mean, like, because if you answer, if you if you if we learn exactly who the Bothans are and we learn that what Mon Mothma said <laughs> literally happened just as she's describing it, you get solo. Right. Like you get you get this movie that is dedicated to, you know, no one has ever lied. Everything anyone has ever said happened exactly as described. And now we're going to show it to you. Whereas I, th- I think, you know, the, the quote that I that I heard from you in a previous interview, Laura, that, that popped into my head was that you said, like, there is some utility to things being confusing sometimes. Like it can actually be interesting for a story to not yield answers. Um, I, I don't remember if you were yeah. saying that in the context. It's also, of- it's also a lot less work for to <laughs> sure. write a story that doesn't fully yield every answer. That's a really good point. I mean, like, which, which is a pretty good argument for that approach, right? That it, it can have more psychologically impactful results and it's less work. Like, that's that's a pretty good sweet spot. Yeah. 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 Whenever I talk about my work nowadays, I try to be careful to not... What, what's, it, what's it called? The word of God? Is that yeah. the thing? Or it's like, mm-hmm. oh, the creator said this thing. Therefore, that's the only way this can be interpreted now. And whenever that happens, I feel it's kind of like a huge bummer. Totally, um, totally. Because you're foreclosing on all those those interpretations that are that are part of what makes it fun to engage with the work. Yeah, there's people who are like who are interested in the thing and like want to explore it and have all these thoughts about it and are like excited about it. And then you kind of like shut down a bunch of it. It's like, oh, well, that's that's too bad. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, like there are cer- I feel like there are certain questions about a work that are that are like properly the realm of of fanfic or speculation right like it is sort of less interesting to get an answer i think you've talked about the end of adam zombie smasher right that it's like that's not a random succession of images it's just a very weird succession of images that may not mean to me what it means to you but that's that's like exactly why it's memorable right yeah so like for, for you to say here's what it means would only take away right right like it'll mean something different to different people and i think there's something special in that so, so did I detect like Laura a hint of like it's easier like 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 in in your opinion as a writer is it sort of bullshit to not have in your head what the answer is to not know who the Bothans are to just throw it out there like does the writer totally depends yeah on what you're trying to do who your audience is how expensive your project is what you're gonna do in the future like if you're doing a one off thing do whatever makes you happy and whatever makes the project feel good. Totally. If you're going to build on the thing that you've made over and over again for the next decade, probably good to pro- probably good at least have a general idea of who the Bothans are so that <laughs> you and your collaborators don't mess it up by accident like three years from now. Uh, I am a, Brendan and I are huge fans of doing the easier thing. Um, <laughs> we're, we're really aggressive corner cutters. So when I say it's easier, I don't mean that in a, in a 
derisive way. I, I mean it in that it's it's a it's a good economical choice a lot of the time if if you don't have to maintain continuity, you know, le- le- it's very safe to leave a lot of things open and to let people, you know, f- fill in the blanks in their mind the way they do a comics gutter, you know. No, completely, completely. No, I, I absolutely hear what you're saying. Like, not not that it's easy mode. That it is. It is a. It's jujitsu, right? It's like leveraging the uh, the uh, the force that's already being exerted on you without having to exert more force yourself, right? Like, it's the it's the path of least resistance in the sense that it can be the wiser path. And it's like I th- I think what you're, what you're saying is exactly correct. If it's a self contained work, there kind of are no rules except does the work work. If you are trying to create an extended continuity, then you simply shouldn't write checks you don't plan to be able to cash. Yeah, and Brennan doesn't write those checks because he has a very spare and precise attitude towards content creation. <laughs> yeah. Spare and precise covers it pretty well. Yeah, sure. I uh, I like to ship things, and I think that like I don't know if you like the way I think of it is that like a game is made up of different buckets. Like here's the art bucket, here's the programming bucket, here's the sound bucket, and if you try to like fill up every single bucket to its max quantity and make it the, the most it could be. Um, I think you run the risk of like just not shipping a thing or getting stuck in a situation where the game is just kind of like a big mess and you can't feel like you're fit. You got to finish it. Um, sure. So you kind of got to like pick your battles. You also, I suppose can fall into the trap of uh, feeling like one of the buckets is emptier than you want it because that just may not be your skill set. Right, like, like sure. most most people yeah. aren't ex- aren't exceptional at everything that could be involved in a game, which is which is after all why, you know, for example, writers gravitate toward Twine. I think you've said Twine one, not Twine two, in your case, right, Laura? Like it's re- relatively specific, but like that's that's one bucket being full to overflowing, or maybe two, right? Sometimes there are visuals, even a little bit of sound, but to the exclusion of buckets that are not relevant to the thing you're trying to tell, or that if you waited around for someone else to to help you fill them, you might never finish the thing, right? Like it's like. There's there's a lot to be said for not even corner cutting, but like focus more specifically or more generally, I guess, you know, focus as a as a principle. I think what I find like when I watch a movie or something is that if it does one or two things like really well, if it just like nails a thing in it, then no matter how many mistakes it has, I'm like, fine, whatever. It did that thing really well. And I, I, I love it for that thing. Um, so I find that like if you know what your weaknesses are and like what your strengths are and like do the thing that you like you do the thing that you're really good at and you know just nail it um then people don't really care if like the things that you're not so good at are not so good yeah i was talking to paula rogers and vincent Perea about neocab a while ago and they they talked about the movie uh, the jim drummish movie night on earth as one of their big inspirations and that to me is a great example of, of a movie that is kind of all over the place because it is like an anthology it's like five basically unrelated vignettes but it nails like the idea of being in a cab and like you know, <laughs> light passing over faces and awkward conversations that you kind of come into in medias res and that was what they lifted and indeed their game nails that too you know so it's like yeah i, I agree with you there are works that that just nail one thing that even if even if I'm not going to put them on a top 10 list what wh- whether or not that matters it probably doesn't I think about them way more than other works that are maybe better or more complete or more cohesive because that thing is the thing that sticks in my head yeah yeah I'm try- I keep trying to inv- invite you back into the conversation Laura I'm sorry if you feel like we're uh, we're just nerding out about about blendo stuff uh, oh no I, I love to hear about blendo stuff <laughs> Well, you mentioned you mentioned uh, you mentioned movies. I know I know you studied film, Brendan. I know that movies are a big inspiration for you. I know that much has been made of the fact that, like, your games quote unquote look less cinematic than others, but that you actually like use cinematic language. Imagine that uh, cuts and things in your in your games. Um, has that sort of stayed in the back of your head? Like, like there are filmic affects to the to the to the blendo extended universe the explended universe i'm sorry i didn't mean to say that uh there are like you know you have like um like codes as though the mpaa has rated trailers and things like that there's like a filmic thing is gesturing toward film more like a a habit is it deep in your blood are you trying to like say something about the relationship between like game narratives and other kinds of narratives like like where does the the film carry through come from or am i again overthinking it and is it just because you like film and that's an aesthetic worth carrying on uh, I mean, honestly, I, I just really like film. I, I just really love watching movies. Um, we watch just a ton of movies, and it's one of our favorite things to do. And 
we watch movies at, for 15 minutes at a time. That's our new <laughs> pandemic strategy, and it's, it's really effective, actually. Oh, whoa. So, like, feature-length films in 15-minute chunks, or, like, you sample yeah. 15 minutes and then move on to a different movie? Feature-length films in 15-minute chunks across two to three days. This sounds yeah. really smart. <laughs> I, huh. And then when it comes time to, like, if we do, like, a live... We, we do, like, some group screenings on... Uh, we watch with, like, friends online or something like that. And then, like, we realized, oh, we have to actually actually sit down and watch the entire thing in, like, a big two-hour chunk. It's exhausting it's now. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. <laughs> how, did, how did that start? Was it just because you were you were both working and you only had 15-minute chunks? Or was it because oh, movies yeah, felt exhausting? It's like, I don't know. I, I have lunches at home now because I'm working from home, you know. Mm. Uh, we have a lot more little interstitial chunks of time than we did previously. Yeah. And you can watch a movie in them. Uh but also like I don't know. In the in the pandemic you spend all this time sitting still anyway, so Yeah. Why no, sure. why bother making yourself do more of that when you had to do that all day already? <laughs> no, that pretty... makes sense. That makes sense. So yeah, so it's it's like it's the the restlessness of of like like the, it's way too much time to devote to a feature film at a throw. I guess what I find interesting is like there are fifteen minute chunks of content in the world. I mean, we're in the the golden, the silver, the something age of YouTube. Like there are plenty of fifteen minute videos you could put on. But the idea of like it being something as substantive as a feature film, but being broken up into those smaller chunks that like it, it there are measurable units, obviously, like structural units that a film can get broken down into, but that's not the way it was meant to get watched. I guess just like the specific thing of feature films, not TV, not YouTube, not not radio, not music is interesting to me. You know, the, is it just because like that's what you like? Well, the thing about YouTube is that it's not actually a 15 minute experience. The app is trying to force you to watch for like eight hours, right? <laughs> it's very so true. Yeah. Whenever you use YouTube, there's this burden of all this other content and all this other recommended content getting shoved in your face all the time. Um, it's it feels very manageable to to watch a feature film the way we choose to watch it because you can to totally control its impact on your schedule and and your life. Uh, who knows if we'll continue doing this after the pandemic? But we've been locked up since March, so the <laughs> the world has become uh, an alternate dimension now. Yeah, yeah, we've definitely branched. I mean, that it, it makes so much sense because that is, of course, exactly the way that I would tackle a really long game, right? I wouldn't attempt to do it at a throw or, or a novel, right? Like you pick it up, you put it down whenever you have time. It's it's just literally never occurred to me to interact with feature films, except maybe very long ones. Like, I think I totally watched The Irishman the way you're describing. Yeah, um, I think that's like in between did. <laughs> But then that, there's, that just kept going. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Hmm. And anime. You can also well, watch anime in 15-minute chunks. That's definitely true. That's definitely true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sometimes the episodes are in, like, very neat halves. Sometimes there is only 15 minutes of actual new stuff in an episode, depending on how it's structured. Exactly. Yeah. Which, may I ask, like, what films, what anime, what 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 everything you've been especially into? We just watched San Sono's Why Don't You Play in Hell. And I've it's never seen that. really good. Yeah, it's really impressive. I have a list of all the movies we've watched in, in quarantine. One second. Uh, this filmmaker is just very prolific. Um, I think there was one year he cranked out like six films, I want to say. And um, I think he averages like three or four films out of every year. And they're all uh, very unique. And they all definitely uh, feel like his movies. Um, this one was about Yakuza and filmmaking. Oh, shit. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds stunning yeah no definitely look that up uh some other stuff we watched recently we watched the 36th chamber of shaolin uh we watched summer wars we watched that artemis fowl movie mm -hmm. that came out mm -hmm. recently that's terrible we watched <laughs> uh heist uh mm -hmm. it's, we watched it specifically in order to see brendan's favorite line in any film which is wait what is it uh, what was it? It's called money. Wait, wait, what was it? Everybody wants it. That's why they call it money. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's <laughs> a pretty good line. <laughs> we watched The Five Bloods. That's fantastic. That was. Really uh, I don't know. We've seen a lot of. Lee, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really good. So yeah, just imagine us watching 
in, in any any famous movie you want 15 <laughs> minutes at a time and that's been our our <laughs> pandemic experience it's like a better than average pandemic experience and it's i haven't heard that one right like you hear recurring themes after a while you know we've been i've been i've been reading more i've been reading less i can't focus on anything i've I've, you know, I feel like I should be writing my novel and I'm totally not. I bake bread now, right? All of that. But this specific thing is something I haven't heard that I bet I'm going to get some comments of like, yeah, I've absolutely been doing that and thought I was the only one. <laughs> like, because it's, it's so intuitive when we have all these movies at our fingertips and like, yeah, there's some, there's, there is something special about a feature length movie, right? Like it's the same thing as like sitting down with, with a game, the idea of, of sustained attention to a theme or to an aesthetic or to something, right? Like that's, that's, they're putting putting the thing into the 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 the, pro, the project and then asking you to focus on it. There's something about that that is different from I think you're you're right, you know, Laura to, to point out like other forms of media that are presaged on binge watching or distraction or something. There's something to be said for a self-contained piece whether it's narrative or not. You know, I was going to say narrative, but just a self-contained anything with a beginning, middle and end that that is what it is is beautiful. Yeah, it's like a it's like a nice 2-hour chunk, so it's not a huge you know portion of your life also yeah totally totally yeah yeah no it's 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 a, a reasonable quantity and it's also again it's it's that thing where you're not being pulled you know be it by a commercial break or whatever i mean anime i guess you could be but you know it, in general you're not you're not getting that constant distraction that that um that needling that was built for a time before quarantine when we were like outliving our lives and needed to be reminded to buy coca-cola or whatever there's something about being stuck at home but still getting all those kind of needly advertising messages that's kind of deeply weird and cruel sometimes i find advertisements during the pandemic to be like pretty funny and i kind of wish i was seeing more of them but we don't uh we don't have like t- tv hooked up just uh <laughs> just streaming services so i've sure. actually seen pretty few advertisements i really liked it when they had to change all the advertisements to appear socially conscious <laughs> and all crowds of people and like make some weird pitch for why you needed this during the pandemic that was so depressing and strange but i found it very funny yeah uh, and i find edits of the disneyland advertisement to be very funny as well Right. Yeah. How do you make it? How do you make a thing where the whole appeal is being in big groups of people <laughs> look like it's a good idea or or relevant when you can't be in big groups of people? You mean or just like the pure ass handedness of trying to be relevant in the midst of, of bigger things going on? I think that uh, I don't know, like m- m- marketing is like the tiger that we live with in our basement, you know, like trying trying to get us all the time and uh, uh affect our lives in ways we may or may not uh consent to or tolerate and seeing them struggle to do their job or to seem relevant or to feel like they have any impact on the world at all is like sometimes funny to me like despite all the good people i know in marketing and publishing most of them work in video games where i'm like yeah advertise that shit to me but seeing somebody scramble to explain to me why i need like six chicken nuggets right now in the pandemic is very very (laughs) funny i I want to see them squirm no totally no that's that's a very good way to put it yeah and the tiger in the basement is a very good way to put it too right like we we put up with it but it's you know there is a fundamental question of what it's doing down there and who it's there for yeah that's interesting too though that like you don't mind being advertised to about video well yeah i mean that makes perfect sense right you're you're into video games selectively tell me about all the video games so that i can feel relevant and and i I don't know uh i play a lot of video games uh when i started out in games i worked uh in a in a biz dev pipeline uh where i had to source games a lot of the time and uh like write essays explaining why they were relevant in like a form and then send them to my boss's boss uh so i went through this period of time where for my job i had just had to play a shit ton of different games and it sort of broke my brain and i'm no longer able to uh play play a game contentedly for a long time i now feel constantly the need to uh play whatever is is you know relevant to people or is new or exciting uh with with a few exceptions um I've, I've been playing caves of cud for years quite contentedly but a lot of the other stuff that i play i i have like a timer on it and when it's over i'm like dang try time to see something new so uh, and is yeah, that is I, that timer i was gonna say is that timer because you're you're worried you're not gonna see everything that's relevant or is, is it even deeper than that is it like you you just have ingrained in you that that's as much time as you can afford to give to 
your average game? Well, it's it's more like my I am satisfied when I have seen everything in a game and and checked it out and feel like I I fully checked it out. My brain is no longer satisfied by like attempting to achieve deep mastery all the time. <laughs> totally, because, totally. Because like t- to me the 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 joy I get is seeing something new and seeing uh how how its unique take on whatever genre it is uh was achieved. And Brennan and I actually tried a couple. Uh, what were we calling it? Game. Oh, game tourism. Yeah, game tourism sessions where we install like eight games and play each one for like the first twenty minutes or something. Yeah, like that. twenty minutes uh, or longer, I guess, if you really like it. But yeah, yeah. At the start of the pandemic, I was doing that to carve through my Steam backlog. I was just trying everything to see if I was remotely interested in playing it for longer. And I mean, so so was that that was basically a, a very concentrated version of the same thing you're describing, though, right? Like, what does this game yeah. have to show me? OK, I've seen it. Let me move on. And it's like there's a part of me that bristles at that idea like, yeah, but isn't there isn't there that that Final Fantasy 13 thing where it gets really good 20 hours in? See, I've never played Final Fantasy 13 and don't think I ever will. It's just for like, that reason or. Yeah, I only play a couple open world like 80 hour games now. Um I tried playing Horizon Zero Dawn over the uh, over the start of the pandemic, and I just couldn't keep myself focused on it. Uh, there's very few games now that I want to play for like a hundred hours because you know it's like those are my 100 hours. I could do all sorts of stuff with that. Right, right. No, uh, true. I mean, and that's that's a thing that I feel like is changing perceptually with games in general because a very very slow burn film is still only going to ask you. For, for two, maybe three 15-minute sessions of patience, whereas a slow burn game could ask you for 50 hours of patience, which is a lot to ask of a human uh, if you take any kind of step back and look at it critically, right? Yeah. And that's something about, I think you've talked about this too, Brendan, right? Like the, the modern design sensibility or like taking forward what was interesting about old games into new games is partly about reckoning with the way that older games might have been kind of abusive with people's time, right? And like getting to the point in a sense. I mean, like your games certainly do that. Get to the point, I mean, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think partly it's just like you, I have a limited amount of resources, so I got to make it as, as economical and sparse as possible. Um, but also like when I play games, and I feel like, oh, they're they're doing this thing that, you know, if even if it was not in the game, the game would just work just fine. Um, and then I think like, oh, what am I doing with my time? And what if the game did not have this? Would it be stronger? Um, and I think there's something really like, I don't know, there's something really special when you feel a game that like really respects your time and is trying to give you all the good stuff without. No, definitely, definitely. Any craft. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a rare enough thing, you know, par- partly because the, the market demands that, you know, that we measure we measure these products in how many hours of your life they eat rather than like what you get out of them, you know, in some cases. So I think there I've certainly played some especially indie games that felt like they had added stuff. I shouldn't say especially indie games, indie games following on the AAA mindset that added stuff simply because they felt like they had to add stuff, be it an additional mode or something. And I don't know. There's there's an art to, you know, letting people feel like there's an off ramp, like it is okay to be done now or you can keep going if you want to keep going. But I think that's a really hard balance to strike, like messaging that you can be done if you want, but also there's more. I think like Celeste springs to mind as an example of a game that that did that really well. Right. Like let you get off the train wherever you wanted and made you feel like you'd accomplish something. Yeah. 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 I, I think what I'm secretly hoping for is like for a game to come out and like you just press start and play and you play the game but i want a also an option of like do you want to play the two-hour version of this game and they just give you the greatest hits (laughs) chapters and like the the plot of it and then you put it down and say ah cool i got i got a cool condensed version of it the closest thing i can think of off the top of my head is like the curse of monkey island where there was like you picked right at the top whether you wanted the version with more hard puzzles or just like the streamlined version like i think it was called oh. mega monkey mode or just like regular mode <laughs> um and it's like you know if you just wanted like the, the humor and whatever and you weren't that interested in like rubbing things against other things in that lucas arts adventure game style right like you had that option um 
but yeah, I mean, even that, like, you know, that, that was still not a two hour version of the game by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I just had like less time to play games nowadays. So yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody does. That's the thing, right? Like there's, there's just so much, there are so many games and there's just so much stuff. Like if everyone's full-time job were to entertain themselves, we still couldn't get through everything, you know? And, uh, and most people do have some kind of other responsibilities, you know, of, of one kind or another. So it's like, there's a, there's an obvious benefit to, to shorter form games, it seems to me. But I think yeah. there, yeah, there's a certain kind of player who remembers the, you know, the hundred hour games of yore or whatever when they were kids. And like, there's, there's something in their brain where like a game has to be or should be that even if, even if they know full well, they don't have time to engage with it that way. Yeah. I, I mean, like, honestly though, it's, it's good for a game to be playable for like a hundred hours because if somebody wants to, you know, like, why stop them? And then yeah, there's sure. also the the uh, side effects of being a game that you play for a long time. The name of that game is constantly popping up on that player's uh, Steam friends list. You know, you are you are constantly seeing the name of that game in the bottom right hand corner of your screen if your friends are playing it. Uh, your friends are playing it more, so they might talk about it more. Um, it prevents them from playing your competitors games, right? Like on, on right, a, right. on a business level, it is very advantageous for a game to be playable for a super long time. Uh, and I think my ideal game would be like Brendan says, like something where I could play it for a long time if I wanted to, but I could also somehow achieve the greatest hits pretty quickly. Um, Though I guess it really depends on the genre because I don't really want that from roguelikes, but I yeah. do want that from other genres. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, roguelikes are an interesting case there because you can get something like the experience from a couple of runs. But on the other hand, you're not really you're not really playing the game in a certain sense until you've achieved enough fluency with the system to get a ways. I'm thinking of traditional roguelikes with permadeath, right? Like I I, I don't know if that's exactly what you're going for, right? But like the idea yeah. of a run being pretty short, like you know, how long does it take to play Spelunky? Not very long. How long does it take to beat Spelunky? Hundreds of hours maybe, you know? Yeah, like I don't have a desire to beat most roguelikes that I play, but I do have a desire to see like the end result of a lot of its systems interacting, which is mm. often something they won't show you until you become the master, you know. Uh, for example, in Caves of Cud, it's possible to psychically dominate uh, other critters in the world who have different abilities than you, which increases the amount of chaos because, you know, they might be casting spells and you're casting spells. And so you see all sorts of bizarre interactions. You see a creature clone itself 80 times. <laughs> uh, you you fight your evil twin and your evil twin knows all the same abilities as you. So it's just like all this wacky shit going on. And I love seeing stuff like that. I wouldn't be seeing that in in cut if I hadn't been playing it for like five years, because uh, yeah. it's so it's so hidden down the, the snarly paths of the various systems you can unlock. I'll be very um, interested to see uh, people's reactions to when when Kit Fox finishes the version of Dwarf Fortress with a real UI, because like pretty weird shit can happen in Dwarf Fortress immediately without you having to get that far, so to speak. But it, but if like that game is interesting because you ha you ha you need a, an advanced PhD or at least like a class at the learning annex to even know what you're looking at when you look at the game's UI, right? Like communicating that level of complexity is another like sometimes you are seeing some of the more complicated interactions in a roguelike early on, but you literally don't realize that's what you're seeing. You don't understand the specialness of them until you're fluent in the system. Like that's that's maybe a harder problem to solve, you know? Yeah. I appreciate that a lot of roguelikes recently have become easier to beat, but uh, the the goal is to beat them multiple times or in different ways. So, for example, right. Monster Train. Uh, I beat Monster Train like on the second day that I was playing it, which I didn't uh, I didn't expect. But the way that that game works is you have to repeatedly beat it with different uh, different ally combos in order to unlock all the cards in the game and to increase your ranking compared to everybody else you know who plays the game and stuff like that so maybe, maybe that's what i like who yeah knows? yeah yeah because you could yeah for sure you could consider yourself you know good after one one go through you've seen a significant chunk of what the uh what the game has to offer but then you can continue as uh as i mean I, like I, most people i know who played dead cells were done after they killed the king the first time for example right and there's there's a ton more in that game after that but i think you know, it, it, it's it's about how much time you have. It's about how difficult that first victory was for you in the first place and whether that feels like a sufficient achievement and it's time to move on with your life. Uh, it's about 
you know, the, the other side of it is that that com- those commercial interests you're talking about, right? Like there is, from a publisher perspective, an incentive for the game to get its hooks in you and make you not want to stop. Like, like not all of the ways that a game stays playable for 100 hours are good things for the game or maybe more to the point for the players, right? Um, I don't think the games we're describing fall into that category, but I think of anything that tries to be an MMO or a faux MMO, it sort of tries to keep you in with like seasonal content and stuff that almost definitionally isn't, you know, meaningful in terms of what the game is showing you, but makes you feel like you have to keep coming back so that as you're saying, you know, that's the game that pops up when you see your friends are playing it or or something, right? Like it's, there's there's an ethics of short games (laughs) that I think we're sort of like alluding to, but I feel like I want to say it out loud, right? Like the thing Brendan was was alluding to about like respecting the player's time. Well, there's there's also ways of respecting the player's time with longer games though, now that I think of it, which we have been talking, so we've been playing Sea of Thieves recently and we've been talking a lot about how it's endlessly entertaining and it can suck all your time. But if you quit playing it for like a couple months, you won't miss out because there's no, there's no like timer mechanics or like things that if you don't do it now, you'll always be less powerful than other people. Or You're something not going like to raise that. the level cap with the next update. Cause that's just not how the game works. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. see if thieves is respectful of your time in the, in the same moment that it absorbs all your time. I think that's a really Literally. good example. Yeah. Yeah, it has a really interesting like progression system where like other players don't really get more powerful than you and you don't get more powerful than them. Everyone is kind of like always very level. Everything is cosmetics and the cosmetics are really good. So yeah, it works. <laughs> it is a sufficient incentive. Yeah. 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 And like it focuses really hard and making all the like satisfaction and joy come out of like the intrinsic uh interactions you have with other players and your teammates and the adventures you have together. Um, it's not really about making a number go up. And I don't know, it's, it's a pretty special game, I think. It is a very special game. Yeah, for, for all the reasons you're saying, and also because like it embraces there being a, a steep learning curve initially. Like, you know, it's the game is showing you everything it has to show you right away, both because of that flat sort of like leveling curve, so to speak, but also because you have to actually like learn to sail. Like you have to learn how to do stuff that isn't really abstracted for you. And I feel like that's a choice a lot of games sort of don't make because because it's a bad ramp up experience in like a classical sense, but it's also really compelling, especially if you're doing it with friends or or uh, or, or, or loved ones, you know? Yeah, I'm curious what the ordinary learning curve is on that stuff because i knew how to sail irl so mm, interesting. Uh, playing the game was very very simple right off the get-go for me the thing i can't do is shoot people with a gun uh, <laughs> sure i'm so bad at it but i can sail the boats really well yeah no i mean yeah. i learned all i learned all the sailing stuff in that game completely by rote i mean like it was it was a foreign language to me i don't know if it's the same for you brendan but i i don't know i don't know jack about sailing irl yeah, I mean, yeah, Laura knew all the sailing stuff. I'm wondering how, I'm, I'm trying to remember, does the game actually teach you how the sails work and all that? And It teaches you in the in the tutorial that oh, you okay. want the sails to, to be full and get that little musical sting okay. and get that sound effect of, oh, my sails are good now. Gotcha. Um, but it's simplified sailing. There's things that you can't do in this game and that, that you can do in real sailing. And there's stuff that you can do in this game that is impossible in real sailing. And they don't really make you uh, respect the wind that much, so you can get away with a lot of stuff. Oh, totally. You know, I, I, if you're in a two-person sloop, if you point your sail flat against the oncoming wind, you actually go faster than if you were attempting to like catch it with the with the edge of your sail. Hmm. So you can just exploit this bug and just sail directly into the wind at like an okay speed. That's in fact faster than the other boats. So a lot of weird stuff like that. That's ludicrous, and I love it. And yeah, I did not mean to imply that it was like, you know, it's it's so real that it's barely even simulated. Like, obviously, it's still like abstracted and gamey in a lot of ways, but it's like it it's a lot more demanding, you know, systemically demanding than than sailing and I don't know, like Assassin's Creed Four or something, right? Where it's like pure abstraction. Uh, it 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 asks you to cooperate in a way that is really really smart for the kind of game that it wants to be and sets it apart. I think yeah, like I've I've got a love a lot of love for that game as well. Yeah, it's really good. We're so impressed by it. I should also say, like, like, um, Laura, Laura, you've you've worked on. So, I mean, I've been I've been playing Industries of Titan lately, so this is on my mind. But I also, when I when I realized you had worked on the English version of it, booted Pathologic Two back up. 
And that to but, me is yeah. a really, that's a good example of a game that can take up all of your time, <laughs> but respects the shit out of it and also isn't multiplayer, right? Because like playing with other people is an obvious way to give a game a long life, you know, be it PV, be it co-op or PVP. Uh, but but I think we we haven't mentioned and we maybe should mention for the completeness of the topic that like, you know, the incredibly intensive, you know, single player experience that asks you to become fluent in a world that makes no sense like that is that is very much a long kind of game that is in in no sense hurt by its length. And in fact, probably like the length is necessary, you know? Yeah. Not even the Pathologic Two is that damn long, but it's like it's it's a very meaty experience. You know, it's 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 not a uh, it's not a two hour play. Like, there's no you're not gonna get through it. Partly because just like time marches <laughs> to its own beat in that game, but like it um yeah it it asks a lot of you in every in every way. Yeah, you need to bring more than your full attention to it, and uh, it uh, its goal is to make you feel bad. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta. <laughs> You got to make sure that you're carving out time to play it when you're when you're up to the task, I guess. Yeah. Which is great. I'm glad that games like that exist. Uh, I don't play too many of them, but when I do play a good one, I really like it. I feel like I mean, I love games like that. I love Pathologic, too. I really I like I like everything Ice Pick Lodge has ever made a whole lot, but I don't play a lot of like straight up horror games like I like I don't. Like being scared or miserable are not things that are necessarily interesting to me personally in and of themselves. Like I don't play a lot of like straight up massacre games either, but games that try to do something with those feelings like like the pathologics or like or like Celeste or, 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 or you know, or, you know, things like that. That to me is really interesting. Right. The idea of this relates again to something I think you said elsewhere, Brendan, which is that like your interest lately is in seeing what kinds of emotions video games can make people feel. Right. Like, I think there's a ton of territory that doesn't get explored unless you're willing to let some games feel very, very bad, you know, in the way that Pathologic 2 does. Yeah. I mean, I don't play many horror games either. Um, and I don't think Brendan does either. Not really. But, uh, there, are, yeah, there are plenty of games out there that, that are trying to stress you out and say something with that. And, uh, plenty of them are, plenty of them are super good. Um, yeah, I think like, of a Twine game right I away. Think Dark actually, Dark Souls is sorry, Dark Souls totally. No, I was gonna say I, I was yeah. I, a Twine game sprung to mind. This game, uh, Nano Pesos, that came out a little while ago, which is just like living a week of your life without enough money to get by and having to make shitty decisions about like you know do I go to the doctor and have to miss work and then not eat or like you know like like it's just a very succinct simulation of being screwed in a very grounded way. Um, but you were bringing up Dark Souls, which I will take a shot uh, since this is a podcast and we're talking about Dark Souls. Uh, <laughs> please, I did not mean to cut you off. Well, I just think that's like most people's experience with that kind of game, you know, which is why there was that period of time where everybody was like, oh, my God, like Dark Souls, because uh, it's like one of the most mainstream examples of a game that's deliberately trying to make you feel like shit and experience mm -hmm. failure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know uh, that it, it's a it's a powerful uh, experience to have in a game and so few so few games outside the horror genre do it that I think that's why you get that really intense reaction to stuff like Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because like, yeah, it's not a, it, like, it, and it, it's not especially counterintuitive to say that like feeling like shit is not that commercially viable, but it's on in another sense, it's like, it's almost a tradition that's as old as games are, you know, like Missile Command is kind of supposed to make you feel like shit. Like it's, it's about the inevitability of the scenario you're in or even like. What's the what's the game Monopoly is based on the landlord's game from like, you know, 1901, I want to say like that is that's a game about how rent seeking inevitably creates misery and squalor like it, it is supposed to feel bad like you could even argue like snakes and ladders is about like the arbitrary chance of life or something right like there's a long vein of traditions of games that feel bad. But it's it's a rare thing because specifically like like video games, mainstream video games have like empowerment as a core loop so often that that things like Pathologic 2 or Dark Souls, which is still, you know, Dark Souls is ultimately still about empowerment. It's just with a, with a steeper curve. Those things still stand out like that feeling like allowing or forcing the player to feel that friction is like is powerful because it's so rare, I think. And, and also, to be fair, because it's hard to do well or in like a satisfying way. Yeah. I think my favorite game in that like genre is Far Cry 2. Oh my god, I yes. I think that game is brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant. In a way that the other Far Cries are the 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 subsequent Far Cries I should say are, are sort of a pale shadow of, right? Cuz like Far Cry 2 blends totally outrageous nonsense and something like realism so freely in order to make points about things, you know? 
yeah i'll sometimes think about far cry 2 and think like how did this game get made because like it's so hostile to the player and it does not want to like make you feel powerful you're just getting beat up by everybody all the time and everything is just going wrong all the time and you're always just flying off a cliff because you looked at a map and i don't know i think it's hilarious and um i think it's a very it's a very special thing and i'm glad i played it when i did that's though that's a good point too it's it's a little bit hard to go back to but like at the time it was a bit of a revelation you know i mean that's speaking of things not aging well right like it's i think if you're going to play older games you need a certain tolerance for jank so i think when one goes back and plays the original pathologic or when one plays far cry 2 now it can be a little bit hard to separate which of those things are intentional or forget intentional but like meaningful you know ways in which the game feels bad and which of them are just jank right it can be everything in far cry 2 is intentional like i think it's a I, i don't experience any jank when i go back and look at it i think it's a uh immaculately crafted uh triple a game that deliberately wants you to drive off a cliff Uh, (laughs) mechanics they had to implement in order to make cliff driving so frequent are like carefully designed and complicated like the 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 map being a a physical thing in the world you know like i I see a lot of that echoed in sea of thieves and stuff like that like it's had such a huge impact and i think that's because it was like well executed you know Mm -hmm. no that's a good point that's a good point yeah yeah oh so good no, that's true. That's true. I guess I guess Far Cry 2 doesn't have much jank. It does have things that are archaic, but even those are used purposefully, just like aggressive respawns and things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I know you're both busy. I know you. we blocked out an hour. Do you need to get going? Um, yeah, we can start wrapping up. Okay, yeah, that's cool. Okay, awesome. Well, this has been it's an interesting it's it's an interesting moment to talk to both of you because I know, you know, you you, you either can't talk about what you're working on or are not at a point where you're, you're ready to talk about it as a complete thing in various ways, but I hope this has been rewarding for you nonetheless. I know it has been for me, um, just sort of exploring the margins of, of you know, like what games are even, <laughs> and and life in quarantine and and uh, the really kind of beautiful things that both of you make. I, I really appreciate you sitting down to talk to me about that stuff. I hope it was fun for you too. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. This is, this is probably going to go up uh, next week, if that works for you. Is that... Is that cool? Sure. Cool. Cool. Uh, that being the case, is there anything you want to plug at the moment? Um, yeah, I'll plug my game that I'm currently working on called Skin Deep at yeah. BlendoGames.com. And I'll, I'll plug the game I most recently finished working on, which is Industries of Titan. You should play it. It's very, very good. It is very, very good. I've been enjoying it a lot. I um, And I saw people like enjoy the last time we were able to have something like a conference in public uh, at PAX East. People were loving the hell out of it. That game is great. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar, Laura also does a, a really, really great write up of one kind or another for like everything she's involved in. So like your piece about industries of Titan and like the challenges of writing from a fixed camera when you like can't look at people <laughs> or script things like scenes is fascinating. Your piece about where the water tastes like wine and like from the perspective of an editor is really great. Your piece about pathologic too is great. So I would direct people toward that for auxiliary stuff in addition to saying that folks should play the games you work on because they're they're really good. Oh, thank you. We I we I like very very briefly mentioned Swan Hill, but everyone should play Swan Hill too because it's a it's one of one of the best twine games ever made. So so there. Oh, oh thanks. So good. It's so good. It's so Thank good. It, no, it's so good. And like I I I didn't <laughs> I didn't even know what to say about it because like the things that are brilliant about it are so like obviously brilliant. Just like the way it uses hypertext and and you know both for like story progression and like giving a memory scrutiny. Like it's so good. It's so good. And I don't have anything to say besides that it's good. So I'll just say that. One day I'll I'll make a, a slick version of it with art. That's my goal. Oh uh, shit! I mean, yeah. I I sort of love that it it forces your imagination to do a lot of that work. But I also would absolutely. I mean, I would have any. I would take any excuse to play it again. But I also would totally play a version with with art and uh, and all of that. Yeah, I spent like three years trying to make a novel length sequel in Twine One before Twine One support was dropped, which is part of my blood oath against Twine Two. Um, <laughs> sure. But. Uh, yeah, I I was always planning on making a a, a version with uh, with art assets as well because I think you can do some some storybook stuff with that format that I haven't yet fully explored. No, that makes complete sense. Well, I I will I will dream about that, and uh, I share I share your your deep resentment for Twine too, but I also do use it, so I I'm not I don't have as much integrity as you do in that sense. 
Um, uh, I don't have resentment. I just have. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm just. You know, sh- sh- shitty mad at, at a- ancient betrayals or whatever. Okay. I've got you. No, 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 no. Blood oath is the right <laughs> thing, or like blood feud. It's not. It's not a rational thing. It goes deeper than that. I understand. I understand. Uh, well, thank you both again for taking the time. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And uh, and yeah, have a good one. Um, stay safe. Stay sane. Uh, do enjoy whatever movie you watch next in chunks. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And that's the show. You can find Brendan's work, including info on the forthcoming Skin Deep at blendogames.com. You can find Laura's work, as well as her rather insightful and fantastic and entirely entertaining write-ups about the work she did on those works at lauramichet.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-M-I-C-H-E-T dot com. You can find a whole bunch of Laura's non-commercial or solo work, including Swan Hill, which I highly recommend, on her itch page, lauramache.itch.io. That is also where you will find Planet Friend as a pay-what-you-want thing. Enjoy it. I should also mention that Industries of Titan is now available in early access on the Epic Games Store. The Everybody's Talking at Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, with support beyond comprehension from Francis Michelle Lopez and Lucio Valentino. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from the Noun Project. A huge thanks to all of our patrons, with an especial thanks to Carlos de los Santos, Lucas Cosen, and the mysterious Ian Kay. If you want to become a patron, you can do so at patreon.com slash E-T-A-O. And if you simply want to follow the podcast, you can do so wherever you're currently doing so or wherever else podcasts are a thing, as well as at E-T-A-O-Pod.com. See you next time, everybody. What was that? The deep voice that Brendan does in the trailer is really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really, really funny. <laughs> I do some VO work in the trailer. <laughs> I, I assumed that was you. It's good to have it confirmed because it makes me laugh every single time. Good. Um, <laughs>